Would you pray with me? Father, we do just thank you for this opportunity to gather together. For the lyrics that we just sang, Lord, that your promise will always be enough for us. Lord, we claim that right now, even in a season of uncertainty, whether it's um, COVID or elections or everything that we have going on around us, Lord, any time that I place my hope in something other than you, Lord, would you redirect my heart? Would you remind me that my foundation is in you? Lord, would you pray for this week? We pray for our country. Lord, we pray for the church in the midst of all this, that we would not... um, lose sight of who is sovereign and where our citizenship ultimately lies, Lord, that we would, in fact, place our trust in you, that you would give us wisdom on how to love our neighbor, how to be a a representative of you here in this world now. And so, Jesus, when you taught us to pray, you said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we collectively pray that together this morning. May that come to pass, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. I uh, um, am curious how many of you over the course of the last seven months or so had an opportunity to clean out a basement or a garage or an attic or anybody do some, like, decluttering in the midst of COVID. Um, We actually, Sherry and I actually moved in uh, the very beginning of quarantining was right when our closing date was and so I mean I was making trips I was on a first name basis with the people at Goodwill uh, let's put it that way and um, and then Goodwill shut down and I don't know if you noticed or not but when when they were able to receive donations again like the line would be backed up like all the way onto the street it's like collectively we had all reduced the amount of stuff in our homes and we're looking for some place for it to go um i don't know if you're familiar with joshua fields milburn and ryan nicodemus i have a picture of them up here anybody know who these guys are they have dubbed themselves they're commonly known as the minimalists right you can tell because they're wearing all black like a good minimalist and um and they claim based on what I said on their website, what I saw on their website, that they've helped over 20 million people live meaningful lives with less. Uh, Through their website, through their books, they filmed a documentary, they have podcasts. In fact, their podcast has over 70 million downloads, teaching us that the key to a fulfilled and satisfied life isn't, in fact, more stuff, but rather less. Right? They're, so they're offering this counter-narrative to the more commonly held view that we're familiar with in, in our world, which we would kind of, if this is the minimalist view, we would say is the materialist view, which is simply that more is more. And it seems to resonate. That, that, it seems that this experience that many of us have had with the materialist view, that more is more fulfilling, has left us wanting. And so millions of people are, are apparently looking for an alternative option. We see it in like things like the tiny house movement. I don't know if you've ever seen this on like HGTV or stuff, but people will downscale their homes to just a few hundred square feet, sometimes only a hundred square feet. 
And um, I'm always a little bit curious when you watch those shows, though, because they see them like the week after they've moved in and they're loving it. It's like, I want the six month view, right? Especially when they have like three kids and they're living in a camper. And like, I want to see how everybody's holding up then. But this, this message is, is very um, relevant in our world right now. It's, there's something about it that's resonating with us. And we're tuning in to see if, if in fact, it's going to provide something that, that maybe we feel like we're missing. The popularity of, of this lifestyle approach is, is interesting because on the one hand, it is a, it's a trend that seems to capture a collective attention because we are recognizing that, that maybe what we have been sold, what we've been told, hasn't fulfilled. It's, it's left us, in fact, unsatisfied or, or discontent. And yet this, this alternative view, the idea that contentment, the key of, to contentment is found in, in reducing the amount of stuff around us, reducing clutter, simplifying, is, is the key. And so the question then becomes, is that, does, that off, uh, does that ultimately offer us contentment? Is the key to contentment in our lives finding the right amount of stuff? Not too much, not too little. Today we're wrapping up our series in, in the book of Philippians that we've entitled Choosing Joy. And we chose that title because Paul's reoccurring theme throughout this entire book has been this experience of joy and the ability or the response of joy. Not in, in favorable or comfortable circumstances, but rather he roots this, this idea of joy, this, the ability to rejoice in the accomplished work of Christ and, and in the acknowledgement or understanding of the gospel going forward. So he says, for this reason, I rejoice. And now Paul is, is concluding his letter to to this church in Philippi, and he's going to draw this correlation between what he's been teaching us about the nature of joy and what it means to be content. So let's turn together to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read the last, basically the last half of, of this chapter, beginning in verse 10. This is what Paul writes. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gift. What I desire is that, is, is that more be credited to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gift you sent. 
They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we've, we've talked about this as we've looked at this letter, but just as a reminder here, the, the church in Philippi is, th- this is, this is a letter that they're receiving after sending a gift to Paul. So despite the fact that they're living in their own difficult circumstances, genuine persecution, and Paul addresses that, he speaks into that. They're they're facing really challenging times. They've managed to muster up, out out of sacrificial generosity, something to support and encourage Paul while he sits in a Roman prison and awaits trial. And so Paul writes this letter back to them. And, and, and as Paul writes this letter back, he, he thanks them, but he sort of thanks them, right? This is the first thing that stands out to me here. Is it's, it's a qualified thank you. It's a qualified thank you. I, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments when you've bought somebody a gift or, or um, done something nice for somebody and you're kind of waiting to see like their response, like, man, they're going to be so excited. And then when like that response didn't quite seem like it aligned with the value of what you thought you were giving them and you're sort of like oh okay you know I, I have a friend who um, spent most of his career in like the investment world and and financial management and managing people's retirement accounts and all that sort of stuff and on one particular day the the market bounced just right and one of their clients in that one day of trading made a million dollars right? So like any of us would in a moment like that, they're excited to call the client and be like, you're not going to believe how today went. Like you are a million dollars richer today than you were yesterday. And when they shared this, what I think to most of us would seem like incredibly good news, um, the person was like totally unmoved. Like, Like almost annoyed that they were bothering to call him like interrupting his day kind of thing like okay that's what i pay you to keep keep working it out like you know like i don't know when the last time you made a million dollars in a day was but uh, it's been a while for me and i can tell you that like my response would have been slightly different than that so i don't know what the philippian church was expecting to hear from paul in response to this gift but did you notice when when paul writes them back he he communicates gratitude for this gift but he 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 adds like this qualifier to it. in fact and you just read it out loud and you read it like a letter it almost feels like honestly like a little bit awkward like he starts in verse 10 and he said okay you 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 renewed your concern for me so he seems he almost seems to be indicating i thought you guys had sort of forgotten me or abandoned me but he says turns out you've always been concerned you just didn't have an opportunity to to show it and he follows that up in verse 11 he says i'm not saying this because i'm in need so thank you for your gift but just so we're clear I, I, i'm not you know i'm i'm not in need right now and then following that after verse 13 again he he communicates genuine appreciation for the support that he gets. and then verse 17 he follows it up not that i desire your gifts what i desire is, is that more be credited to your account so why, why does Paul feel it is necessary 
to qualify his response of gratitude? Like, why does he add these phrases, not that I'm in need, or not that I desire your gifts? Right? It, it almost, I, I feel like it's one of those moments, like, when, like, my mom and I opened up a present from my grandma that was like a sweater that I'm not sure I was going to wear and my thank you wasn't quite effervescent enough and mom kind of gave you that look like you need to do better than that sort of thing like it reads a little bit like that and so I'm, I'm when we ask ourselves the question why and I really think Paul is is he's wants to be very cautious here he, he does not want to distract from the repeated theme of this letter that joy is a product of the gospel, not the result of your circumstances improving. Paul is seeking to both affirm and appreciate the generosity of the Philippian church, but without suggesting that, that this gospel work is either dependent on or motivated by their support. And I think Paul is doing this because he knows their circumstances. He knows their situation. This is Paul being careful not to communicate or teach misplaced hope or misguided joy. Paul referenced this, but he, he talks about the Macedonian churches in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He, he describes the circumstances and the generosity of the Philippians. He talks about it this way. He says, in the midst of... Uh, a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He's saying, I've seen this in you. I know this is true. I know your circumstances. He knows the sacrifice that they had to make in order to send this gift, and he's thankful. He, he appreciates it. It's so, it's, it's so important to him that even in the midst of that gratitude and that thankfulness, that they not root their source of joy or their idea of contentment in something like financial provision. He says it's, it's, it's in fact actually rooted in something far more secure than that. I wonder for you, if, if you're anything like me, how often when your mind wanders, when you're, when you're daydreaming, does the narrative that you play out in your head have some, something to do with some influx of cash? Like some, some situation, some benevolent benefactor that swoops in and pays off all the credit cards or eliminates the college debt or, or the mortgage is gone or you can get that, that vacation home, whatever scenario where life is easy and comfortable and how, how often does our mind wander to some version of that story? I know, I know for myself, frequently, like that, that when, I, when my attention just kind of wanders, that I can, that's the story that's playing in my head. See, Paul, he is writing to a people in a desperate situation who have somehow managed to give generously, and he celebrates it. He, he, in fact, celebrates it as evidence of their continued growth in Jesus and the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in them. But as grateful as he is, he's saying, this is, just understand, this is not what's required for you to experience joy. 
And this is not ultimately your source of contentment, Paul writes. Which then leads us to, to this important distinction that Paul makes here. Paul makes an important distinction. I, um, if you're somewhere around my age, for many of us, um, our grandparents' generation was the generation that was kids. Their formative years were experienced during the Great Depression. And so I've had opportunities to talk both to my, my grandparents, to Sherry's grandparents, and heard stories, and, and, uh, and, and they literally survived on, on next to nothing um, many of the times. In fact, um, you've seen traditions, right, where people get an orange or something in their stocking, and Sherry's grandfather talks about, like, that's all he got was a, was a piece of fruit, and he was so excited that, that this piece of fruit was a... Uh, like such a, a extravagant thing for their family to have in this moment and the sacrifices his parents had to make in order to be able to give him this orange in his stocking for Christmas. And most of us can't, like I, I cannot envision my kids' response if they woke up and found like fruit, you know, on, on Christmas morning. Most of us can't really wrap our heads around that. But if you talk to that generation, you talk to people that, that experienced that firsthand. They, they have a unique perspective on what they needed and what they wanted because scarcity and, and desperation provide clarity. For them, scarcity and desperation provide clarity. Look again at what Paul writes here, back in verse 11 now. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. So right, Paul, for Paul, the idea of contentment isn't tied in, in either this idea of materialism, where more is, is more, I, he says, I've known what it is to have plenty, or in minimalism. He's not saying the key is to get rid of all the stuff. He says, I know what it is to be in need. Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The Stoic philosophers that were, were um, teaching at the time that, that Paul lived and taught and they valued the idea of contentment. It was, it was a virtue that they, they taught. In fact, they taught it in such a way that the, the wise person, in order to be wise, to act wise and to live wise, you needed to be content. And for Stoic philosophy, what it meant to be content was, it was basically this idea of self-sufficiency. So the Stoics had this tendency to lean to the minimalist side of, of the perspective, that if you freed yourself from all the trappings of stuff and, and were satisfied just in and of yourself, then you would find fulfillment. And in that fulfillment, you could make, you could live wisely out of that. Paul sees it very differently. For Paul, it is neither, for Paul, lacking something, being absent of something, scarcity isn't disastrous. And on the same hand, having more than you need, a surplus of stuff, is not a sign of success. For Paul, 
contentment is rooted entirely in the sufficiency of Christ. For Paul, knowing Christ, having this confidence that he is all that you need is, is what it means to be content. In fact, Paul, this is the very definition of contentment, according to Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's talking about generosity. He's encouraging generosity in, in the church. And he uses this very same word that's translated in, in Philippians chapter 4 as contentment. He uses this same word in 2 Corinthians 9. And this is 2 Corinthians uh, 9 verse 8. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, that phrase right there, having all that you need, is the same Greek word translated in Philippians 4 as contentment. You will abound in every good work. Do you see what Paul's saying? Do you see what he wants us to understand? For Paul, the, the fundamental need that he had wasn't additional support. It wasn't more resources or financial liquidity. Right? Paul understood that what he needed was a Savior. And that he had that fully provided for him in the person of Jesus. That Jesus had given him everything that he needed. So he's making a distinction here for the church between what is substantive and what is supplemental. Contentment is found, according to Paul, in having all that you need. And Paul says, all that you need is Jesus. Therefore, everything else, everything else outside of him is a gift. And this distinction is, this is critical in our own process of discipleship, in our own, our own efforts, in our own work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to become more and more like Jesus. Because when we understand this, when we view it this way, it allows us to rightly order our lives. It allows us to ask the question, what is, what is substantive? What is absolutely necessary for me? And to answer that with the knowledge that it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for our salvation. So then what is supplemental? Everything else. For Paul, everything else becomes supplemental. They're great. They're a gift. But in and of themselves, they will not meet what you need. Only Jesus can do that. I appreciate the fact here that when Paul writes about this, he says, he says, I've learned to be content. Meaning that, that this didn't, this was not a natural instinct for him. Rather, it was something that was a product of the Holy Spirit's work in his life and the product of his experiences in life that landed him in this conclusion. And of course, the same is true for us. It's, it's a truth that we, we need to learn, that I need to remind myself of, that I need to, to come back to time and time again. Because here's the thing, when I, when I fail to understand that I have everything that I need, what I need has been met for me in Jesus, then I will inevitably begin to look at things which are intended and only capable of being supplemental, meaning being gifts, I'm going to start, when I forget that I have all that, that is taken care of for me in Jesus, then I'm going to look at things that are only meant to be gifts, only meant to supplement that, and I'm going to try to extract from them 
this fundamental need that only Jesus can meet. And that will always result in unfair expectations and ultimately in disappointment. I had a friend that we were talking about this, this passage together. And she was talking and she said, you know, people, um, people, when you look at them as gifts, they're beautiful. When you look at them as substantive, they're disappointing. Isn't that true? Even think about your, your closest relationships, your family, your kids, your spouse, your best friend, whatever it is. If, if I'm coming to that relationship and I'm trying to extract something from that, that that gives me purpose and meaning and, and fulfillment, and it inevitably disrupts the relationship because I'm asking more of it than it's capable of giving. Paul says these are intended to be gifts. It's a distinction between what is, what is substantive and what is supplemental, which leads us then to this, this third quality here, and that is the power of contentment. It's the power of contentment. Paul says it this way. He says, I can do all of this, what he just described, being having plenty, being in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. There's um, one of my spiritual heroes in life is um, Elizabeth Elliot. And many of you probably know her story. Her husband and um, four other missionaries in Ecuador in the 50s were, were um, seeking to reach out to a remote tribe in the jungle. And um, long story short, they ended up, the tribe viewed them as a threat and ended up spearing them to death on this river in, in Ecuador. And um, Elizabeth Elliot eventually returned with her daughter and with one of the sisters of, of one of the other missionaries into this tribe and, and lived there and became one of them. And um, I've been into this, this area in Ecuador, and I've known some, some other missionaries that were actually counterparts of the Elliots and the Saints and all these. And I've, and I've heard them tell their stories, and if you listen to them, they, I mean, they lived in grass huts. They, you know, killing the tarantulas that were invading your home was a part of, like, their regular morning routine. It's like you took out the garbage, you killed the tarantulas, you know, like, all these sorts of things. And I remember, um, this is a, a missionary couple from Chapel Street, um, and, and I remember asking them and talking to them, and they said oftentimes when they would come back to the States, like, people would say, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you give, how do you give it all up to go? be there and they say give up what like what what have we given up like tell me what are what are we missing and and Elizabeth Elliot has this quote that I love and I think that captures this idea of the power of contentment she says when referring to contentment she says the secret is Christ in me not me in a different set of circumstances so this is this is the power of contentment the secret is Christ in me not me in a different set of circumstances and this is very possibly the most misapplied verse in all of scripture, right? People use this, they understand it as this idea that God is somehow going to empower them to achieve whatever goals they set for themselves, but that's not the context that Paul is speaking into at all. Taping Philippians 4.13 to a pair of cleats does not somehow empower me to go play quarterback for the Bears today, although I think I could be competitive based on the current... Paul is teaching us something so much greater. He's saying the power of contentment is that wherever God leads you, 
whatever he asks of you, you are sufficient for it because he is sufficient for you. Let me say that again. Wherever God leads you, whatever he's going to ask of you, and, and to be certain, there will be asks that are difficult and that are above your ability. But whatever it is, you are sufficient for it because he is sufficient for you. The power of Christ in me is when I realize this truth that I have in God everything that I need. If this becomes something I'm convinced of, if this penetrates my heart, it, it, it changes the way I view my life. Because if I am found in Jesus, I lack nothing. So whether I find myself in a time of scarcity or a time of surplus, I can proceed with confidence, knowing that the sufficiency of Christ is all that I need. What do you lack? What do you lack? Because if you are in Jesus, the answer is nothing. In fact, one of the reasons that, that Jesus in his love and mercy in our lives gave us communion was that we would rem regularly remind ourselves that we have all that we need. And when we take the bread and when we take the cup, we are, we are reminded that what is substantive for us, this need that we have for a personal Savior, has been realized and provided for us in Him. And so this morning, I want, you to, I want to invite you to um, take the elements with me. And I want to invite you to think about Philippians 4.13. And the sufficiency of Christ. And if you see there's little, there's two layers here. If you peel off the top layer, you will, um, the bread is in the top. And if you take that, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he took bread. And he broke it and he said, this bread is my body that I give for you. When you take this bread... Think about the sufficiency of Christ and how he has given you everything that you need. This is the body of Christ given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. And then Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant that's been shed for the forgiveness of sins. Through his blood, the stain is, is wiped away, and we are made new in him. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are all that we need. Thank you that in, in, uh, in you, Lord, that, that we are made sufficient. Thank you that we can come to the table this morning to be reminded of that in a very tangible way. Lord, you will ask things of your church. Things that we do not have the supply for, but we are found in you. And so everywhere we go, Lord, wherever you lead us, whatever you ask of us, 
we are sufficient for us because you are sufficient in us. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and receive this morning's benediction? Again, as I, uh, before I dismiss us, we'll exit to the sides of the room um, as well. There are, we have the offering boxes in back. If you would like to give this morning, of course, your generosity um, has gone so far in helping us meet needs in our community, continue in, in the work of discipleship. We are so, so thankful um, for each and every one of you. Um, I'm available for prayer. If there's any prayer needs this morning, I will remain up here. You can come talk to me. Um, that's okay. We can do that. And, or, of course, you can email us as well, and we, will, we would love to pray with you. Now receive this morning's benediction. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ, who has been for us all that we need, and who is in us so that we can be all that, that uh, is needed for whatever he asks of us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.